prime time arise. Oh God, what does that mean for us? Poised on the cusp of an uncharted journey. We're here. You're here. If you have a word to send through Holy Scripture, this would be the perfect moment. Our minds and hearts listen through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. What would happen if, like it was for us just a moment ago, in this place, we're all here, we are bowed on our knees in prayer. What would happen? Eyes closed. That moment between the Last of the praise singers, refrain, the organ is stopped. The pastor has finished his prayer. Just that split second. What would happen if suddenly we heard a low decibel moan? Just a moan. Not sure what it is. We pause a little longer in prayer. Our eyes are closed. But it seems that this moaning is beginning to grow in volume, crescendoing. And maybe the deacons have, because it's so warm in here, have gone up and down the sides and popped the windows open. And it must be something distant and far away. We stay in prayer. We're not through yet. But that distant, faraway wind begins to groan. And it begins to grow louder and louder and louder until suddenly we hear the sound. And we here in the Midwest, if you're new here and you have not lived in the Midwest, you will soon learn, you will be schooled to listen for this sound on a stormy day. We hear the sound of a rumbling freight train. Hmm? And in that instant, we've been trained. That's the auditory signal of an approaching tornado. Before we can leap to our feet, we're still in prayer here. Before we can leap to our feet, there is an explosion of sound here. Inside the sanctuary. Instinctively, we jerk our heads up, waiting to see the chandeliers at 90 degrees to the floor. Not a breath. Just the roar, but not a breath of motion. Everything limp and hanging just as it is right now. Our eyes now open. In the same instant, we see it. All of us, at the same time. Time we see it somewhere in middle air, beneath those towering arches and the soft linoleum floor that we're kneeling on. We see it. A roiling, seething, orange, 
ball of fire. Have you ever been to a steel mill? They're closing right and left, I understand, in this country. But when, as a kid, I went to a steel mill in Japan. And you've seen pictures of a steel mill. You know that they get this molten steel in that giant black cauldron. And they will actually pour liquid, liquid steel. We've got that hovering in midair. No cauldron. It's just the water of fire. Just, just broiling. And while we watch, pinned to our knees... As if by invisible hands, tiny strips are peeled off the orange ball. And in an instant, up and down every aisle, up and down every pew, until finally over every bowed, worshiping head, there flickers an orange tongue of fire. Pentecost. What would happen? If Pentecost happened right here, right now, what would we do? There are people on this campus and in this community, I know because I've met them, there are people who are praying for Pentecost at Andrews University and Pioneer Memorial Church. Just this week, Two young adult freshmen, brand new students in the university, were in my office. And they're saying, Pastor, come on, come on. Couldn't it happen here? Couldn't we have Pentecost while we're here in school? So what am I going to say to them? That it's the wrong time in history? That we don't have the right generation yet? That we're not ready for it? That they ought to just banish from their young, idealistic minds any notion of Pentecost in their lifetime. Pentecost. Maybe you've never read the story of Pentecost. I want to give you a chance to read it right now. It is an amazing drama. You may have read it a hundred times before, but I predict you still do not know the secret clue to the meaning of the fire in Pentecost. You thought it was the Holy Spirit. You thought that's what it was to symbolize. I want to tell another story today. Open your Bible with me, please, to the story of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. You didn't bring a Bible? Grab that pew Bible right in front of you. It's page 733 in your pew Bible. Acts chapter 2. I'll be in the Today's New International Version. I'm going to be in that for this series. This series is coming out of one book in the Bible, as you are now discovering, the book of Acts. So I want to stay in this book. You can bring any translation you wish. Just bring a Bible, will you? Bring a Bible. Story of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Here we go. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together... In one place. How many people? 120 men, women, and young adults. All right? So we're 2,000 here in this service. 120 in an upper room. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Here it goes now in verse 2. Suddenly, just out of nowhere, suddenly. Now note this. A sound. Now the Greek word for sound is echo. From whence comes our word echo. Huh? 
Only used twice in the New Testament, both by the same author, Dr. Luke. The other time Luke uses it is in his Gospel 21, Luke 21, 25, where Echo is describing the roar of a tumultuous sea just before the return of Christ. So we know this isn't a, this is not a whisper. This little sound is not a whisper. It's a roar. It's the explosion. And I like the way the TNIV catches this. A sound like the blowing of a violent... We're not talking about a nice little sail out on the St. Joseph River, which is what I enjoy doing. No, no, no. This is a violent wind. Like Hurricane Gustav that is making its way slowly across the Gulf of Mexico, even as we worship here. Okay, so a roar. Violent wind. Like a sound, like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. And notice this. Filled the whole house. The point of the author is we're not dealing with an isolated source. This source is, is all around us. It's just every nook and cranny and corner of this sanctuary is just exploding with this roaring sound. It fills the whole house where they were sitting. Verse 3, and boom, they saw it. See, they, it took the sound to get their attention. They hear the sound and then they saw what seemed. We don't know what it was. It seemed. What seemed to be tongues of fire... That's separated. See, that means there's a ball of fire in, in middle air right here, a ball of fire. And then shh, 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 those little strips are peeling away and are darting to those in prayer and worship. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Verse four, all of them in prayer were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This Nobody has a template to measure this moment. It's never happened before. Verse 5, now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. They say that the uh, festival of the Pentecost is the most conducive to tra for travel because it comes in late spring. So you get the best weather, so you get the most worshipers and visitors to Jerusalem. The place is packed, the city is packed, and the electric buzz has been started by that upper room. Why, why, why is everybody talking? Verse 6, when they, the crowd, heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Verse 7, utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans, i.e., these guys haven't even been to school. Galilee did not have a great reputation for erudite thinking. So how are they speaking? That's the question. How are they speaking in our languages? We're hearing it in our native Tongue, our native language, dropped down to verse 14. Then Peter stood up. I'll tell you how. Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Listen up. Verse 15. These people are not drunk as some of you are suggesting. Too early in the morning to be drunk. It's only nine in the morning. No. Verse 16. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Verse 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Verse 18. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Wow. I am so glad that when Peter decided to quote from that ancient prophet Joel, he changed the scripture. And instead of saying, and afterward, he changed the scripture to read in the last days. I tell you why I'm glad, because if what has just been experienced is only for the first days, then there's no hope for those living in the last days. 
But he said in the last days, there'll be a prime time generation and I will pour out myself upon them. Wow. Prime time. Welcome to prime time. Welcome to prime time. I mean, what could be more prime time than today? I have a friend who's in the financial industry and who's been tracking this rather chaotic up, the rather chaotic ups and downs and peaks and troughs of the economy these days. I can't figure the economy out. I mean, the gas goes up, the gas goes down. The stocks soar, the stocks plummet, the hurricane comes, the hurricane goes. I don't know what's happening. But this guy's paid to watch it. Got an email from him. He's telling me, hey boy, keep your eyes on the housing and mortgage industry. You watch that. The FDIC, by the way, just this week announced 117 American banks are on the verge of collapse. What's up? Something. This email from this friend of mine, he says, you know what, Dwight? Makes me think of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3. And when they say peace and safety, look out. Look out. Sudden destruction is on the way. I, thanks to this friend, subscribe now, am sent an e-newsletter from a, an investment firm in, in Florida called Atlantic Advisory. The president of the firm is Bennett Sadaka. Last week's newsletter, last week's newsletter, he put this sentence in the newsletter. The Federal Reserve and the Treasury and the next president will have the fight of their lives on their hands. Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, these giant mortgage industries nationalized now by the government. What else is the government going to have to take over? Fight of their lives. Hey, listen, I suppose that today's day and age might qualify as prime time given the economic instability of this nation. You think about it. The first Pentecost when it came, it came at prime time and prime time was instability. Just a few years later, after the Pentecost, a few years later, every, the, 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 uh, the uh, spark, the, the match goes to the tinder. Pilate, the governor who sent uh, Christ to his execution, Pilate, occurs the disfavor of the mighty Caesar. He is stripped from office, goes home and commits suicide. They're sitting on the edge of political turbulence. Economically, they will melt down in a matter of years. In 40 years, new, in 40 years, Jerusalem will be no more. And all the while, in this mighty empire, the moral decadence of Rome is slowly eating and digesting the tender underbelly of moral sanity. You want to talk about prime time for Pentecost? Instability. Prime time. George Barna, the American demographer, president of the Barna Group, released a national survey four days ago. In this national survey, he describes a significant shift in American life. I'll put it on the screen for you. We are witnessing, this is Barna now, we are witnessing the development and acceptance of a new moral code in America one of the most stunning outcomes from the Barna survey, the report states, I'm quoting now, was the moral pattern among adults under 25. 
The younger generation in America was more than twice as likely as all other adults to engage in eight morally negative behaviors, end quote. Now, look, I understand. Hey, I want to be quick on this. I understand that the young adults, the 3,200 of them that have come to Andrews University for this new year, I understand you are exceptions to the rule. And I praise God for that. I am grateful for that. No, 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 I'm serious. I am grateful for that. But that is precisely the point. In a nation that's headed to moral meltdown... What more primetime opportunity could come to a band of 3,200 young adults than this, than to move out on behalf of the kingdom of God? You're being set up. You're being set up to be the primetime generation. I believe you are the primetime generation. I believe that. I want to share two sentences with you that I've been brooding on all summer long that have become the catalyst for this new series, Primetime. I'll put it on the screen for you. Written a century ago, with such an army of workers as our young, thinking of our young adults, rightly trained, might furnish. You take this primetime generation with a generation like this, how soon the message of a crucified, risen, and soon coming Savior might be carried to the whole world. How soon might the end come, the end of suffering and sorrow and sin. The primetime generation. You know what, ladies and gentlemen? You may be the ones God has been waiting for all these years. Prime time. Everything is set up. This fertile moment of explosive opportunity when history coalesces to set up the story of Acts for one more replay. Prime time. You're it. Hallelujah. And what will a replay of Pentecost look like in our third millennial clothing? Uh, there's a vital clue here to that fire. Remember, we're, 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 we're suggesting, we're, we're, we're kind of ruminating on the thought that maybe the fire isn't just the Holy Spirit. There's something more here. There's a vital clue to that right here in Acts chapter 2. And so take your study guide out. You've got to get this clue. Once you get this, it'll, it'll be locked in your brain. If you didn't get a study guide, hold your hand up. And our very efficient ushers will make certain that you have one. Just hold your hand up in the back of the balcony. Do it as well. All over. And while they're doing that... We want to welcome all of you who are watching on television right now. Welcome to the new series, Prime Time. Let me give you our website. Put it on the screen for you. www.pmchurch.tv. That's our website. You go there and you're looking for the series, Prime Time. You'll see it. Click on there. This is the first. This is the first teaching in the series. This one's entitled, Playing with Fire. So you go to that and you'll see it says MP3. You want a podcast? You're welcome to have that. But just get over to the study guide right now. And click study guide and you'll have the identical uh, instrument that we have here. Let's fill it out together. This is something for you to brood on, brood over later. But I believe once you see the clue, you'll never forget it. The Greek word for Pentecost. You ready to go? The Greek word for Pentecost from Acts 2 verse 1 is Pentecoste. Well, that wasn't hard. Pentecoste. And that means the 50th day. Pente. Pente in Greek means five. The Pentagon. What's the Pentagon? It's the uh, defense headquarters for the defense industry in the United States. It's a five-sided building. Five. Pentagon. Pentecoste is the 50th day. And what's that mean? You see it there in your study guide. In the, for in the Jewish liturgical calendar, if you subtracted 50 days from Pentecost and you went backwards, it would take you back to the Feast of Unleavened Bread or write it in. Here's the clue. Passover. Passover. Drop that word in, please. In other words, the secret to Pentecost is in what it follows. Write it down. 
Passover. And the secret to the Passover is the passion of God. Hold on. One more line. Calvary. See, Calvary is the supreme manifestation of God's passion to save His lost earth children. That's what Calvary is about. In other words, when, when, when the Lamb of God died as the divine Passover Lamb, it was the consummation of every act. It was the consummation of every word God had spoken in the history of the human race. In fact, do this. Look, let's just say here the, here the gates to the Garden of Eden. Once... Outside the gates of the garden, because it was closed off. Adam and Eve had to leave. From this point on, watch this. From this point on, every word, every act, every intervention, every provision from God, every movement of the divine, from the gate of the Garden of Eden all the way down here to Calvary, is driven by the fiery passion to save lost men Women and children on this planet. Everything God does. I, I invite you to, to, to kind of challenge that. Think it through. Everything He does is driven by that passion. Moreover, if you want to start here at the cross and go all the way down to you get to, to you and me here, you start at the cross. Every intervention of God, every act, every word God speaks from the Calvary, from Calvary on, same passion, fiery passion to save lost people. It's all God can think about. If they were all your children, it would be all you could think about. Do you know how many parents are here right now who, when I say, how are things going with your children, immediately feel a pain in the depth of their souls? Do you know why? Because they're not sure their children are secure eternally. That's why. You cannot be a parent and not have the passion to see your children one day in the kingdom of Christ. You're never the same. You can go on, you look like you're having fun at a party, and you can be watching TV, and you can be, do, you can be playing golf, but you stop for a moment, and somebody says, how's it with your boy? How's it with your girl? And boom! There it is all over again. God says, we, we got it from God. He has one passion. Save the human race. In fact, jot that down. Well, you, God can still think of nothing else these days, but I must save. I've got to save. I must save my children. Bethlehem was because of that passion. Calvary was because of that passion. And guys, hold on to your seats. Pentecost is solely because of that passion. Nothing else. Nothing else. It's no wonder Jesus' last words to the dearest friends he had on this earth were these. Turn your page back to Acts 1. Look at this. Isn't this something? Jesus' last words before leaving. This is uh, chapter 1, verse 6. So when they met together, that would be the disciples, only 11 of them now, they asked Him, Lord, they asked a very Adventist question. I love this. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom, kingdom of Israel? I mean, come on, is this the end? Huh? Is this it? Hallelujah. They ask a very Adventist question and Jesus makes a very un-Adventist response. Look at verse 7. Jesus said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by His own authority. Hey, listen, guys, let me tell you something. Your, pre- your most pressing need right now is not the date when I will return. Your Father has that in thorough control. You need what the Father, Spirit, and I have, and that is our passion to save this planet. That needs to be your all-consuming focus. Save this earth with us. My passion must become your passion 
to enable that to happen, look at verse 8. Therefore, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you, I promise you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. By the way, this is the table of contents for the book of Acts. In Jerusalem, chapters 1 through 7. In Judea. In Samaria, chapters 8 through 10. To the uttermost parts of the earth, chapters 11 to 28. You just put the table of contents there. You will be my witnesses. In fact, jot this down, will you? What is Jesus saying? He's saying, when the dynamite power... You see that? And by the way, you notice the word, the Greek word for dynamite is dunamis. That's where dynamite comes from. When the dynamite power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, He will fill you with my passion... And you will be my witnesses. And by the way, did you note that? The Greek word for witness is martus. From whence comes our word martyr. What is a martyr? She, he is a witness who will witness through his life and is willing to even through her death make testimony. That's what a martyr is to the ends of the earth. You become, a mar- you become witnesses for me. By the way, jot this down 14 times in the book of Acts. Luke will weave in that theme word witness. 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 Jesus' point is inescapable. Once my passion becomes your passion, you will become my witnesses. I promise you. And with that, Jesus is gone. Just like that, he's gone. Look at that. Verse 9. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Look at verse 10. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men materialized. Suddenly they're there. Dressed in what? What does it say here? Dressed in white. What are those two men, do you suppose? Huh? What do you suppose they are? Of course, they're the angels. Desire of Ages tells us those are the two guardian angels who accompanied Christ Jesus all the way through life. Those are his guardian angels. You've got to hand it to those angels. They cut out of the first part of the party. They missed the first part of the welcome home. They said, we'll stay with you, boys. You go ahead. Everybody else is waiting for you. They said, we'll come after you. Stay right there. Got something to tell you, fellas. And they speak. Watch this. They speak. Verse 11. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen Him go into heaven. Now, I want you to read that with a little, uh, a little different understanding. We could read that gently with a fresh paradigm and understand that to be a very gracious rebuke to those who keep peeling their eyes on the heavens trying to find one more sign that Jesus is coming soon. Get your eyes... Off of the heavens. We got a work we got to do here. Uh, William Williman used to be the uh, dean of the chapel at Duke University. He made this observation about Luke's opening salvo, and I like this. It's in your study guide. In a few opening verses, Luke manages to reprove both the enthusiasm and speculation of uninformed apocalypticism. What's that mean? People just running around trying to turn every headline, turn every headline into a sign of the end. Whoa! It's got to be now. Whoa! Uninformed apocalypticism. That's all it means. Luke, Luke is giving a little gentle chiding. Don't you get sucked into that. Don't worry about the day and the date. God has that all under control. But notice the, notice the balance of Williman. He's, he's also reproving the despair and stodginess of a church without apocalyptic hope. Don't you ever become a community of people who give up the passion 
of expectancy. Jesus is coming soon. Don't you ever let anybody talk you out of that hope. Sometimes we get to thinking we're going to be here so long, let's just settle down for a long winter's nap. Get over it. Hang on to it. The church is doomed. Willman is right. Yes, okay, jot this down. The angels, the angels are saying, hey, fellas, yep, Jesus, this same Jesus is coming back. But you can't sit here gazing up into the heavens forever. There's a work to do. Let's go, guys. We're ready to help you. And that's exactly what they do. Verse 12. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. The Sabbath day walked from the city about two-thirds of a mile. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room. That would be the upper room where they were staying. And then a list of those names. Verse 14. And they all joined together constantly in prayer. It's ten days to Pentecost. Ten days away. They, and they have no idea that anything's coming to Pentecost, by the way. They're just in, they just went to prayer meeting. They have no clue that in ten days... Zero. Jesus just said, you go there and you wait. And so they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, that would be their wives, and the women who ministered to Jesus in his life. And then one more person is mentioned by name. And along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. This is the last place Mother Mary appears in sacred record. How would you like the last remembrance of you on this planet? Hey, he was at prayer meeting. Huh? Whenever you say, hey, she was at prayer meeting. The last remembrance of you is you were at prayer meeting. God bless the mother of Jesus. The New Testament quietly just, she's gone. There's no elevation. There's no, there's no coronation. There's nothing. The last time we see her, she's at prayer meeting. And what are they doing? They all join together. What's it say here? Constantly in prayer. What are they praying about? This is in your study guide. Take a look at this from the book Acts of the Apostles. Focus of their praying. The disciples prayed with intense earnestness for a fitness to meet people. And in their daily conversations to be able to speak words that would lead sinners to Christ. Now, hold on. They did not ask for a blessing for themselves merely. They were weighted with the burden of the divine passion for, and I added those words, the divine passion for the salvation of souls. They realized that the gospel was to be carried to the world in their generation. And they claimed the power that Christ had promised End quote. Ten days later, boom, the upper room explodes. Tornado in flame. And by the way, how was the fire displayed that the Spirit brought to them? How was the fire displayed? You think about what it could have been. The Spirit could have shown up. He said, all right, we're going to have fire here because fire is wherever God is. We're going to have fire. And a hand appears, a fiery hand over every head. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. It could have been in prayer and suddenly a fiery foot. Wherever thy foot goeth, I am with thee. But no, 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 no. We now know the focus. By the sign that appeared on Pentecost, we now know the content of those ten days of praying. They are praying, give us the passion, give us the ability to articulate the truth about Jesus to a dying world. All we want is to be able to do it right. Please. Give us tongues that can speak with clarity and passion your truth, O oh God. And when He comes, a little flickering orange tongue over everybody saying, I heard your prayer. 
I hear what you want. You got it. Now go. And boy, when they walked out of that room, 3,000 people got baptized that very day. Mercy. That's Pentecost. God does. God throws all the rule books away. All the paradigms are collapsed and tossed. New world, new prime time. Here's how we act. And boom, God turns the world upside down in one generation. A generation that did not have cell phones. A generation that did not have laptops. A generation that did not have gas-guzzling automobiles. They had nothing. They had nothing but a sailboat. No newspapers. No emails. Nothing. In one generation. When God throws the rule book out, you don't need, you don't need nothing with Him. Just give me your passion. Jot that down, will you, before I forget it? The tongues of fire are proof enough that the focus of these ten days of prayer was the power to be an effective witness to the world for the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people think that when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, you have these warm spiritual fuzzies. Man, we gotta have, we gotta have the Holy Spirit around here. I wanna be able to do things I never could do before. The Holy Spirit is not about you doing things you never could do before. The Holy Spirit has one primary passion, and that is to fill you with it. To fill you with God's passion for lost people. Not for saved people, for lost people. There's more joy in heaven over one who's lost than 99 who are saved. Heaven's got a passion, and it's to find the lost. So when we ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we're really saying, Oh God, I'm begging you, I'm begging you fill me with your passion for lost people. And so we begin today a new series, How to Train Our Tongues to Become Powerful Witnesses for Christ. It's called Prime Time. It's based on a single line in the New Testament. We may never see it during this entire series. 1 Peter 3.15 Always be ready to give an answer to those who ask you the reason for your hope. If you're the prime time generation, then we have got to do everything we can to equip and enable you to walk out of this university with your head held high. I know what I believe, and I can tell you what Jesus means to me. Prime time will be giving you some tools. And in a few days, we're going to launch something, the alpha version of a seminar we've been working on for five long years. It's called the Contagious Adventist Seminar. And we will launch it here, and you'll be given an opportunity to become a part of this prime time movement. What would happen if this new year we began to pray the pre-Pentecost prayer? I mean, just like the disciples. I'm not suggesting this is Pentecost. It's not here yet. But what would happen if we prayed that same way? What if we asked God to fulfill Acts 1, verse 8? God, give me your passion. Please fill me with your passion for lost people. Do you suppose God would honor that prayer? Can you think of a reason why He wouldn't honor the prayer? Now, I need to tell you this. I haven't lived long but one thing I've learned is that there is no preacher on earth that can preach into me a passion for lost sinners. Oh, I've, I've known preachers who can tell stories, a story or two or three, boy, bring tears to my eyes. And I'm walking out of there saying, whoa, please. It doesn't even go back. It doesn't go past the tears. And because a preacher can't do that to me, guess what? This preacher sure can't do that to you. There's no way this series primetime is going to inject you with divine passion. Impossible. I'm telling you what, there isn't a book on earth, and there's some great books out there about the passion. There isn't a book on earth that can infill you. The book can inspire you, but it cannot infill you with that passion. You can't do it. I tell you what, you can read the Bible. You can read the Bible from cover to cover. I'm going to get the passion right here. Wrong. 
You get to the last page of Revelation and read the whole Bible through, you will not have an ounce more of passion in you than when you began. Oh, maybe an ounce or two. You can't get it from even God's Word. There is only one source for divine passion, and that is the divine heart, which is why you've got to go to the divine Lord and say, give me your heart, please. Give me your passion straight from you to me. Mainline it into me. Please. I must have it. And that's why, ladies and gentlemen, when we read the story of Pentecost, it doesn't read that the disciples sat in the upper room and read books. It doesn't say that they sat in the upper room and listened to sermon podcasts. It says they went to the upper room and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed until when God in His own good pleasure said, Now, they got it. They just prayed. I'm embarrassed to ask this of myself, and so I can get out of the embarrassment by asking you as well. So we'll put us both into this. When was the last time you and I were on our knees begging God for His passion to save lost earth children? When's the last time you ever prayed that prayer? Hmm? Embarrassing, isn't it? That's all God can think about. And it's what I never think about. How embarrassing. He's my father. But he's not my heart. Oh, God. Go to our knees. Oh, God. I need, I need your passion for the lost people on my street. I need your passion for the lost people in my dormitory. I need your passion for the lost people in my classroom. I got students, God, that are lost. I need your passion for them. I need your passion for my hometown, my home state, my home nation, my home planet. I need your passion, God. Please. Ladies and gentlemen, this is prime time. God is serving this generation a home run pitch. Do you know what that means? When they say that the pitcher is serving you a home run pitch, he's playing easy. He said, all right, I'm going to throw this straight across the plate. If you've got any sense at all, you'll swing at this one. God is saying, I've set you up. Just step into the batter's box. Take that bat and swing. You're going to hit this out of the park, girl. With me. Boy, swing at it. The earth is ripe. Prime time. Such an army of workers as our young, rightly trained, how soon the message of a crucified, risen, and soon coming Savior could, could go to the ends of the earth. How soon the end of suffering and sorrow and sin. So what would happen? If we decided to band together like the disciples in Acts and say, okay, let's pray, let, let's pray collectively. A few years ago, I had John Pokinghorn, the, em, the eminent Anglican clergyman and physicist, writer of a score of books. He was standing right here. And I asked this Christian scientist, I said, hey, I know, I know, I know you believe in prayer. Obviously, you're a man of prayer. How does this group prayer thing work? And he looked up at me. And he said, you know what? It's a mystery, but I think it works like a laser. So I called one of our physicists this week and said, hey, tell me about this lasers thing. You know what a laser is, don't you? One little, one little strand of light, it's fine. It can light up a little part of the darkness. But the power of a laser is it's multiple strands all on the same wavelength, little photons. They're all bound together. And when they're bound together with a single focus, those lasers can go through concrete because it's focused. And they're many together. 
Maybe that's the secret the book of Acts knew. <laughs> they didn't know a diddly squat about lasers. But they knew that if they would come together to pray. You know, there's very little about private prayer in, in, in Acts. Oh, Peter prays on the rooftop. Paul prays. you got a little bit of private prayer. But the dominant praying in Acts is all done by groups. All of it's a prayer meeting. All of it from, from beginning to end. They must know something about the bands and the light. Focus. Collectively focused. So how would it be any different for the primetime generation waiting for Pentecost 2 before the end? Can't be any different. Guys, it has to be the same. So here's the deal. Would you mind coming? I'm inviting my friend Mark Finley. You ever heard of him? Great guy. Friend of mine. Wednesday night. You'll be here. Wednesday night. Put it on the screen for you. Empowered by the Spirit. Let's start being serious about a collective prayer. The pastoral staff has said, you know what? We've given lip service to this a lot. But we're going to be there. Nobody else comes. We have a prayer group for pastors. And we'll be blessed. But there will be many people coming. You're not coming to hear the preacher because it won't be the preacher. You'd be coming to hear my friend Mark. I'll tell you this much about prayer meeting. I've learned this. And, and the people in Acts learned this. If you make group prayer a regular part of your weekly journey, group prayer, it will raise the bar on every other level of your life. Every other level. Intellectually, financially, socially. The whole nine yards. It just, a rising tide lifts all ships. And every other area of your life raises. Why? Because you're in touch. Love to have you come Wednesday night. House of prayer. Eight o'clock, you're gone. Seven o'clock, we start. So I can't give you an hour. Yeah, you can. Yes, you can. If you believed it was important as it really is, you'd have an hour. I'd have an hour. Prime time. The world's ready. It's time for the church to get ready. Coalesce. Bind together. Love to have you Wednesday night. Seven o'clock. Prime time. Forward on our knees. Forward on our knees. That's what it means. We go together on our knees. Oh God. Prime time. Could it be this is the generation you've been waiting for? Holy Father. We're all a part of that generation. If we're alive, we're it. Do in the last days what you did in the first days and grant to a praying people your passion for lost people. No more home alone. That's old, blase. We can't be home alone and get this one. This one comes collectively. Oh, Father, grant it to us for the glory of our Lord and Savior. Calvary's passion one last time for the salvation of this campus, this community, this county, this country, this world. Please, dear God. Amen.